You're listening to the Boise Community Church Podcast. We desire to be a people who are following Jesus authentically and missionally. For more information, please visit boisecommunitychurch.org. Well, good morning. Turn in your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 8. So we're going to be be wrapping up Nehemiah 8. Guys, we're we're cruising, man. We're going to be done here in a little bit. Just a few more weeks. All right, let's pray one more time. Father, as we, as we turn to your word, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us as your church. Lord, I know that you have good and beautiful and great things that you want to speak to us as your people. And so, God, I do. I just lift up our hearts to you this morning. We pray that you, we would be receptive as your people, Lord. And so, Lord, may we have hearts and ears that are ready to receive from you this morning. And, Lord, may, they, may the words fall deep into our hearts, into that good soil that we're able to respond and, and really receive from you this morning. And so we just pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So now that we are all here, we're there. The words will be on the screen. Field. Please stand with me together as we read God's word together, just out of reverence. Uh, We're going to be starting in verse 13. On the second day of the month, the head of all the families, along with the priests and the Levites, gathered around Ezra, the teacher, to give attention to the words of the law. They found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded through Moses, that the Israelites were to live in temporary shelters during the festival of the seventh month, and that they should proclaim this word and spread it throughout their towns and in Jerusalem. Go into all the hill country and bring back branches from olive and wild olive trees and from myrtles, palms, and shade trees to make temporary shelters as it is written. Verse 16, so the people went out and brought back branches and built themselves temporary shelters on their own roofs, in their courtyards, in the courts of the house of the Lord, and in the square by the water gate, and the one by the gate of Ephraim. The whole company that had returned from exile built temporary shelters and lived in them. From the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day, the Israelites had not celebrated it like this, and their joy was very great. Day after day, from the first day to the last, Ezra read from the book of the law of God. They celebrated the festival of seven days, and on the eighth day, in accordance with the regulation, there was an assembly. The word of the Lord. I love it. All right, please take your seats. So last week we saw that the Israelites are finally back in their city. They're in their spot. Their walls are rebuilt. The gates are hung. Everybody's reestablished themselves in the city. And the first thing they decide to do is they say, you know what we're going to have? We're going to just sit. We're not even going to sit. We're going to stand and read scripture for six hours. And have Ezra read it over to us. And the people's response is weeping and repentance towards the Lord. And then Joshua, not sorry, not Joshua, Nehemiah and Ezra and the Levites come to them and they say, Hey, don't grieve. This isn't a day of grieving. This is a day of celebration. Because they were reestablishing their roots as a people. And I just, I love, I love this part of, of Nehemiah because what I love about it is that it doesn't just stop there. 
Like I love when people, and it's the same for me with as a pastor. Like I love when people read the scriptures and and study the scriptures and have this like hunger for the Word of God, because I have that. I I love the scriptures. They feel like this light in this path for me that that guides me when I'm walking through my walk with Jesus. But what I love seeing more than anything is seeing the the gospel and God's word take root in the heart of a believer and to watch it transform the heart and to really change the person from the inside out. And it can be small things. It can be things like maybe you're like me and you're just really grumpy. That's like the thing that I feel like God's working on in me currently is just being a more joyful person and and a blessing to be around. You know, or it could be something like it could be an addiction like alcohol or pornography or whatever it may be. And so I love this story and I love this text because it doesn't just stop here. It says that they come back on the second day of the week. But the thing that when they come back, it's not everyone. So they had 50,000 people at the first gathering. And then when they come back, it's only the heads of the households. It's the priests, it's the Levites, and then all the men that are leading their families and so essentially what's going on here is it's it's a meeting for the the leaders in the community as they're reestablishing themselves as a city and as a people they're gathering around again to to study and hear god's word and i believe there's tremendous power in the word of god for each of us that are here this morning i believe that god wants to speak to us through his through his book, he's given us this as a tool, and as a resource to, to minister and equip and speak into our hearts and lives. And the thing that's amazing to me is, you know, many times in churches, we focus on the topic of identity. Like you are a child of God and you are loved by God. And, and we bring that aspect of it, which I think is incredibly important because it's hard to do anything well if you don't know who you are or what you're doing. But we also need to be reminded of what we're called to. And so that's what's interesting. And I feel like that's what we see in this section. We see this repentance in the people in the first half of this chapter because they see in this moment, they see who God has been throughout their history as they've fallen short time and time again. But God continues to make a way for relationship, to make a way to be close to them. But something happens as the leaders are listening to God's word in this moment. To be a leader is a a challenging thing, you know. I always had dreams of planting a church and pastoring a church uh, since I was 19. I went to Bible college very reluctantly. Uh, I really wanted to work for Caltrans and have a hot wife with a big house and a sweet truck and I got two out of the three so I feel like I'm doing okay but I don't have the truck but <laughs> or I have a truck but it's more like a Tonka truck so it's the little yellow one out there you, you guys will all look at it when you leave and laugh <laughs> um, but this idea like I always wanted to be a leader I had no idea at 19 what it takes to be a leader to be a leader in my family to be a leader in my community to be a leader in a ministry or the leader of a, of a church gathering. It's an incredibly humbling experience. 
whenever I'm talking to young couples, a lot of times I'll tell them like, you, I, you always think you're really good with kids until you have kids. And then you're like, man, I'm, ne- I'm re- not really good. But now I have this new saying where I'm like, I'm really good with other people's kids. <laughs> um, and it's this humbling experience because you have this opportunity where you're pressed in and you're pressed to grow. And a lot of us actually sit in places of leadership. You probably don't even can, a lot of us don't walk around saying, I'm a leader. Maybe you do, and that's good if you have that, that realization. But a lot of you are leaders in your family. You're leaders if you're on a work, like in a team, whether you're playing sports or you're a leader in like your work team. So every workplace feels like they have teams now. Or you're a leader in your workplace. Or you're a leader here in our church. Or you're a leader in a nonprofit. Or you're a leader in whatever it may be. You know, there's, there's a million different aspects that you can be a leader. And the thing that makes it really humbling is because you bear the weight and the responsibility in the role of leadership. Because leading isn't about power and dominance. We don't try, the way of Jesus is not to overcome by force, but it's to, to lead by servanthood and by grace and by love. Because in our roles of leader, you're called to put first the health of others that you are leading. Whether that's spiritually, whether that's financially, whatever it may be. And helping the people stay the course and see them thrive. Because many do, many struggle to, to see what leadership is. When I was young, I thought leadership was like, man, I just get to be in the front. I get to talk a lot. This is going to be great. I do get to do it a lot now. It's not as great as I thought. <laughs> it's a lot harder. Um, but many people see this leadership as that. They see it as this opportunity to stand up and to, to let their pride show through. But in my experience, the best leaders are the, are the people that are truly the, the biggest servants. And so maybe you're sitting here and you're like, why are we talking about leadership? It seems really silly. But that's who is studying God's word. There is the leaders in the community in this point. And it requires us to be active and intentional in moving the right way forward in these leadership roles. And so the question I want to ask you with this morning and kind of start with is, do you feel like you're a leader? Take a moment and just kind of pause. Are you a leader? Do you have influence? That's the greatest way to know if you're a leader. Because when they gather this, these people, that's what they're doing. They're saying, hey, we need to gather as a community those that have the influence. And that was specifically over the families. And the, the thing that they were doing is they were trying to make sure everybody was walking in the same direction. And so the, question I, the second question I have for you this morning is, what are you following? Being in ministry for as many years as I've been, it's been in, it was an interesting thing entering into the church world and watching how people build ministries and create their followings and 
and do what they were doing and to see how people would flip-flop and how they would bounce around because they would read certain books and they would change their entire church in matters of minutes, it felt like, because they would read a book and they'd be inspired and they'd read another book and they'd be inspired and it was like the vision was constantly shifting. And what I remember being a really young man, I remember sitting with an older man. I was pastoring another church in another town. And I just, I, one of my things that I always like to ask guys when I was young or younger, I would say, you know, do you have any advice for somebody that's my age? What would you tell yourself if you were me? And that was a lot of times, a lot of the feedback I got was this guy who came to me and he said, you know, I, I just stick to the word and stick to your calling. Your calling is what will continue to carry you through. Follow Jesus and don't follow people. Allow people to encourage and inspire, but but ultimately be who God's called you to be. So follow Jesus in that. And so I'm all about learning from everywhere you can. And when I ask, like, what are you following? What is, that, what is the authority in your life? What really governs your life? Is it finances? Is it being keeping up with the Joneses? Is it having the perfect kids? Is it, you know, being on the ends with whoever it is that you're trying to be rising in the, the workforce? Because it's interesting, you know, we can follow cultural, or cultural trends, leadership practices from the business world, which I'm all about learning from the business world. Um, but the real thing I want to know is like, are you following Jesus and the way of Jesus? Are you letting God's word guide you in both action and in your heart? And the next thing I have is, are you a leader that's worth following? And the beautiful thing about that question is like, I don't believe the, the answer is no. If you're not a leader that's worth following because there's sin or there's struggles or there's whatever. And honestly, I think leader, every leader does struggle. I have tons of struggles. You can ask the leadership. They can tell you all. They can tell you that there are definitely struggles there. But are you a person that's allowing yourself to grow? Because if you, my answer to you would be is not yet. I'm not a leader worth following yet. Because a lot of times we like to be either yes or no. And I want to encourage you, like, you are all called to be leaders as ambassadors of the gospel. And this is an important thing for us to look at in ourselves. You see that the Apostle Paul said it this way in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1. He says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. That's the kind of people we want to be. We want to be a people who are being with Jesus and then eventually becoming like Jesus because leadership is about much more than being the one on top or the one that or, that you know sends out all the orders. And so as the heads of the households are gathered together around listening to Ezra read the word of God, they are focused in reading God's word and hearing God's word, trying to hear it and really understand it applying it to their lives and those that they would be leading, figuring out what does this mean for me and my wife and my kids. Many people today are enthralled with the idea of studying God's word 
you know, we want to read books, we want to read podcast or listen to podcasts, we want to study theology, we want to have these big discussions. But when reality, the best thing that we can do as the people of God is simply just just sit down and allow God's word to simply speak into our hearts. Where Jesus is challenging us, saying, if you look at a woman in lust, it's the same as committing adultery. If you look at your brother and you hate your brother, how are you going to love a God you've never seen? If you hold hate in your heart, you might as well have murdered them. But allowing, you know, God's word to work its way and to challenge us to grow, to show us our imperfections that we can not live in a place of being like, I'm good enough, but to allow ourselves to say, Jesus, I want to be like you. So the best thing we can do is be a people that are reading God's word and asking God to speak to us as his children. Because we need not only to read God's word, but allow it its rightful place as an authority in our lives. To where the Bible says, hey, don't live this way. Don't walk this path. You know, James, you know, aka Jesus' brother, says it this way in James chapter 1, verse 22. He says, don't merely listen to the world, or word, why I keep saying world. Don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. In my family, you know, in our house, there's a lot going on pretty much all the time, it feels like. We're home, but it's just like, it's just chaos. It's like a circus because there's four kids running around and they're all pretty young. And a lot of times I'm asking things from my two oldest. Like, hey, Emma, Daisy, can you guys like pick up toys or can you help this or can you sit with Alice? Can you do this? Can you help get him a water? You know, just helping out in just different little aspects. Probably the most difficult thing for me and the most frustrating thing is if I know my children hear me and they just look at me. It's challenging, right? Because you're like, I need your help. And they're just like, that's cool. Coco Melon's on the TV though, so I'm gonna watch that instead. All right, glad that you're eight (laughs) and six. And it's the same thing for us though. It does no good for us to read God's word and not allow it to actually change us and to, to shape us. Because I think there's a lot of us that can have the experience that they had in the beginning half of this chapter where they hear God's word and they allow it to be spoken over them and it touches something in them deeply and it causes this emotional response and then they just go, yeah, that was amazing. And then they walk away and nothing changes. And James continues on this, talking about the person who doesn't do what God's word says. He says in verse 23, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in the mirror. For he observes himself, then he goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he is. And so when we hear the word of God, what James is saying, when we hear the word of God and don't apply it to our lives, we end up becoming a people who actually forget who we really are. The word of God is meant to call you to to remember your mission. To remember that you are here as ambassadors for the gospel. That you are a child of God that, that is loved deeply regardless of your 
your choices and, and things that we've done in our past and the things that we'll do in the future. We come in and enjoy hearing God's word because it sounds good. It touches our hearts for a moment. But when it doesn't lead into action or forming habits, we quickly forget. My first sponsor, when I was in a 12-step program, he used to always tell me the same thing every morning. He knew I was a pastor. He wasn't a Christian at the time. And uh, he grew up in, in the Mormon faith. And one of the things that he always would tell me, he said, you know the most common thing you'll find in your Bible? That, like the most common command? And I was like, love your neighbor? Like, <laughs> love people? He's like, no. Which I do think it's love your neighbor. But he said it's to remember. And without remembering who we are, we're kind of doomed to live in this cycle where we keep repeating the same things. Without applying God's word to our lives, it doesn't stick. It doesn't create that life change. And it's at this moment that the leaders in the community who see who they're supposed to be, so they don't just hear the word and then just go, okay, that's cool. We see in our, our study that they, are, they see that there's this celebration that they haven't done in years, this feast of booths. And it was this really beautiful celebration where they would actually set up all these booths all throughout the city and people would build these, basically, it'd be like going camping all over the city. You know, and so what they would do is they would do it to remember their wanderings in the wilderness for 40 years. And you'd be like, why in the world would you want to remember that? They were blind and they were lost and they were miserable and they complained a lot and a bunch of them died. Like, why would they want to remember that? Because it was 40 years that they wandered in the desert until they crossed into the promised land, which is where they were at this moment. They were in this... They were in the city that they dreamed about and that they knew God was going to give them. And this was a time that even though they wandered in the desert for 40 years, God always was with them, regardless of how terrible it was. When there were snakes that were biting them and there was, they didn't know which, how to be healed, they had to look at the snake to be healed. God provided a way. He led them by day. He led them by night. He fed them every morning. He heard their cries and made waters that were unable to be drank and able to be taken in to sustain them as a people. When they were tired of eating bread, he gave them quail. When they were tired of quail, then he gave them bread again. He's a pretty good dad. But in the middle of this difficult and trying season, God was with them and cared for them. And so the leaders in this community, they take this action and they get everyone to build their booths, to eat and sleep and remember what God had done, that God had been with them as a people throughout all this time. This feast was a time to remember all this, and this feast would bring this amazing place of joy. And the thing that's really powerful about this is they found joy in their traditions. One of the other things that they would do is they would build these really tall bronze um, lampstands and they would put them up all over the city. And they would fill them with oil and they'd light them for nighttime. And so the city would just be these, there would be these huge lights that would stand up in the city. 
And I love this picture because it's in this moment when we see that story where Jesus comes and he says, you know, I am the light of the world. When Jesus makes that claim that this is during that feast, he's walking in the temple and as these things that are standing proclaiming like this is the city of God, this is God's people where we come to celebrate, to remember, to, to be the people of God. Jesus stands in the midst of all these people trying to find their way to God and he's saying to them, you are looking at these poles and you're looking for, for rest and you're looking at for light, but here am I am here. It's me. I'm the light of the world. And the next morning after that, in John chapter 8, is when they would have been cleaning up after this feast. And Jesus is sitting and he's giving this Bible study. And they bring this woman in and they toss her before him. She's completely naked, and which would be pretty awkward. You know, if somebody came in here and threw a naked woman in our midst and was like, what are we going to do with this girl? I'd be like, that is a great question. Let's probably cover her up and then let's have a conversation. But... You know, they, they brought her in to, to stone her, to judge her, because she was caught in the act of adultery. And I think the beauty of that moment as Jesus is standing there and teaching God's word as they're carrying these bronze, you know, lampstands and putting them away. And people are fighting to try to figure out what do we do with this moment? How do we correct what's happened here? And Jesus, as a leader, just sits and plays in the sand. He doesn't engage in the controversy. He doesn't step in and say, well, where's the man? Well, haven't you done some bad things? And they just continue to press him. And Jesus eventually responds to them and says, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. And the oldest to the youngest, they all walk away and they leave. I love that it's the oldest that leaves first because they, they understand. I feel like as you get older, you see like your flaws more. And as they walk out, it's just Jesus and the woman. And Jesus graciously looks at her and says, woman, where is your accusers? And she's like, they're gone. And he says, neither do I condemn you. Go your way and sin no more. I love that that story is wrapped in this tradition. That it's in the midst of these people looking for a home. Trying, remembering that God has been with them. And now God is standing in their midst. And they're still trying to figure out, like, what do we do? What do we do? And Jesus is like, just be. Just be the people of God. Be loving. Be gracious. Be kind. Be filled with the Spirit. Because the Israelites in Nehemiah's day, they were not only reminded of who they are, but they were reminded of how they should live. And I actually wonder often if we miss out in certain joys in our own stories because we lack tradition in our church today. Not just this church, but the church as a whole. Because so many times our faith is regulated to the head instead of practice. We miss out on some of the spiritual practice, whether it's reading scripture, maybe it's prayer, maybe it's Sabbath, 
Like, when's the last time you Sabbathed? Which is interesting to me because I love this idea of Sabbath. I'm probably the worst at doing it. But when I first came into my first experience with the, the church was at a... I went and lived in Alaska with a seventh, my aunt, who was a Seventh-day Adventist, which they take the Sabbath incredibly seriously. And you don't do anything on the Sabbath. I got in trouble for getting ice cream with a girl. It wasn't the fact that there was a girl there. It was because we went and got ice cream. Uh, but this practice, spiritual practice of confession, when's the last time you confessed? You're like, well, we're not Catholic. You're right, we're not Catholic. But that doesn't mean this act of confession isn't a needed thing. The spiritual act of confession for me is literally me, me sending a Marco Polo to a couple of men that I trust and just me being very vulnerable and very real about what's going on in my heart and life. Whether that's struggling in my relationship with my wife or struggling in my relationship with my kids or struggling in my job, whatever it may be, or just struggling in my own soul wrestling with some some doubts and fears and beliefs and things like that and allowing them to speak the gospel over me and just love me where I'm at when's the last time you did that fasting that's one of the, my goals this year is to to step more into the spiritual practice of fasting living in community which most people don't see that as a spiritual practice but that is where people know you and eat meals with you and do life with you and, and share so much of your life together. Because it's in these areas that we see our faith really take root and in our hearts and our lives. And we, it's, these are the traditions. These are the things that will bring us together. And so the people in Nehemiah's day, they continue to finish out the fe rest of the feast. And as... At this feast, they were regularly hearing God's word spoken over them, and they were remembering. They were taking time to celebrate. And so, simply in closing, I think some of us in this room are called to step in and step into a leadership role. And maybe that's you need to step into that role in your family. You need to step into being a spiritual leader, which I don't think being a spiritual leader is hey, I need to know the scriptures inside and out. But it's actually, are you living the principles of the gospel? Are you implementing those into yourselves as a family? Maybe you need to step into that and be missional in your workplace and be an ambassador for the gospel. You're not just worried about getting the dollar or you know, making sure your butt's covered so you don't get in trouble, but really pressing in and loving the people that you're doing business with. Hearing their stories and encouraging them and being this light for the gospel. And being really that way in the lives of those you have influence with. But the important thing is that it's not just being in a position because it's not enough to only hear, it's not enough to only act because our city, our communities, our church it all needs leaders. People who are living for something bigger than themselves. And as your pastor, I want to say, like, I have very big dreams for us as Boise Community Church. 
And I like that I keep bringing this up because I want you guys to know what my heart is for us as a church. Because my dream for our church is not to be big for the next 20 years and then I decide to leave and do something else or, you know, whatever like that. I don't really care if we grow to be a church of 400. Anything more than that sounds crazy, but... (laughs) uh, My dream for our church is that we would be a people who are following Jesus, both authentically and missionally. A people that are very real and very honest about what's going on in their hearts and lives. That we talk about the things that we struggle with in Scripture. That we don't know how to reconcile with our current lives. A people that are living missionally that are saying, hey, there's this place that you can come and and be a part of a community that loves Jesus and will love you. When I think of the church that I dream about, I think of a people welcoming others into a community to see who Jesus is and how much he loves them. A people who are inviting others to practice the ways of Jesus together. Not just a church that's doing church on Sunday mornings, but a church that is the church. People who genuinely care for one another as some, some members are struggling and some are celebrating, but we're with one another. Giving a place for those struggling with addiction, struggling with mental health struggles, or any other thing that's going on in their lives, a safe place to simply come in and be. And maybe you're sitting there and you're like, yeah, that's great. That's pretty much every church's goal. People finding love and getting married, children being born, marriages that are built up and thriving where husbands are helping their wives thrive. Because husbands, and I want to speak to you and future husbands as well, I will always believe the man that I respect the most is the man that I see his wife lifted up and that she's thriving. I believe it's First Peter where it talks about the wife being this weaker vessel. And we used to, oh, whenever I used to hear and read this passage, I would have this idea like the man's like a thermos, so you can throw him against the wall and he can get dented. And, but your wife, she's like this beautiful wine glass. So you need to be very gentle with her. And I think there's truth in some of that. But I also, I'm not a thermos. Like, if you throw me against the wall, I'll break too. But <laughs> I'm a, I, I have emotions. <laughs> And I'm sensitive. But more I think what that scripture is trying to implement for us men is that if she's this wine glass or this beautiful, special thing, what do we do with beautiful and special things? We put them in a place of honor, in a place that is to be seen and cherished and valued. And so husbands, I want to encourage you. Like that is a vision I have for us as the men of this church. That you would be a men that love your wives really well. That you see your wife and you are with her. And wives, my dream for you is that you would love your husbands deeply. And that they would be men that you would want to follow and, and want to, to be with. Parents raising their children to follow in the ways of Jesus. Business, and this is some of the other things, I have dreams that our church would start businesses, gyms and bars and many other things, which are like, why on earth would you have a dream for a bar? 
I just think it would be awesome to give a place for people to come and, and find Jesus in a different way. People accomplishing their dreams and seeing the community rally behind them and support them and as they pursue their dreams. And the beautiful thing about all these things, church, is that, and the, the beautiful thing about being a follower of Jesus is it's that it is simple. Because walking with Jesus, it isn't this 15-year plan. It's day by day, step by step. And I love that picture of like, I'm just walking with Jesus. And so as we get ready to close, I'm going to invite you guys to come up and grab the elements for communion. I want us to take communion as a church before I dismiss us.